God has this delightful plan for you. And one of the great beauties of the Bible is that it speaks to this and to our true identity. And while we often try to hide our own personal weaknesses and to overemphasize our strengths, to strut about in our, what we conceive of as our strength with other people, God isn't like that with us. He loves to use us in our ordinariness, if that's a word, and he likes to weave out the extraordinary in us, even as we are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, it says these words. I just want you to hear them, to soak in them for a bit. For consider your calling. Now, it's speaking to men and women who have taken the first step to follow Christ in their life. And we're going to speak to this in just a second, what it means to do that. But for those of you who have done that, this is a word specifically for you. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, that is holiness, the process of being made holy, and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He has this great plan that at the end of this week, be able to look back and just brag on God on how he used your ordinary capacity and skill and ability to do the extraordinary, which you did not think was possible. That's his plan for you this week, to accomplish that. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, who have changed your identity, that's what Scripture tells us, that when you take this first step in relationship with God, he changes you. You are no longer identified for your family of origin or your culture of origin, but God has made you new in him. For those of you who have never taken that step, it really is not that complicated. I know you've been resisting it for one reason or another. Let me just say it and let God do what he loves to do. I'm not going to convict you, but I know that his spirit loves to do this kind of stuff, so let me just say it. It's easy as this. You come to a place where you admit, you acknowledge, or you own that you are broken and you are separated from God, and that's because of your own willful disobedience, your sin, what the Bible calls sin. And you just say it to God, that's me. And you come to a second step where you say, and I'm going to trust you, I'm going to cast my faith, my belief, my confidence in you, not my own capacity, but in you. And I'm going to confess before you my sin and commit to follow you. It's the ABCs. It's that simple. And when you come to him in honest conversation and commitment to him before him, then your identity changes. He makes you new. He guarantees you life eternal and life right now, a reason to live, where he will take what's ordinary and he will make it extraordinary. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a life of an ordinary person who did something extraordinary. 
that God used. And it's found in 1 Kings chapter 22. I invite you to turn your Bible or your phones or whatever apparatus you brought and turn to 1 Kings chapter 22. If you did not bring a Bible, we have brought some for you. Right in front of you, you can pick up one of those Bibles and turn it to page 304, 305, and you'll find a Bible right there for you. And I want you to do this. I want you to hear in your heart that he has a great plan for you. God has a great plan for you this week, men and women. And he can use you just as he used this one person, a man named Micaiah, to make a stand for him. Um, I don't know what your week was like. Mine was really busy. <laughs> like from morning, early morning, about before six until at night, late until I was just socked out. And, um, but each morning I woke up early and had some time just to, with the Lord. And this morning I want to give you that time. I'm going to give you just three minutes to read the passage. Um, starting verse one, in at verse 40. Get as far as you can or that you would like. Read at your own speed. Give you three minutes in God's word right now just to breathe it in. Again, it's found in your Bibles that are right around you. If you don't have a Bible, page 304 and 305, 1 Kings 22. And just start to read the story a bit, would you? Please. Okay, ready? Go. Okay, you got a little whiz. Here's the great news. You have the rest of the day to read the chapter. And you spend some more time in it. Um, I wanted to underscore one verse as we begin. And this week at VBS, one of the things that I deeply appreciate about Kurt and his team is that they get the kids in God's word. And they start, they have memory verses every day. And um, even the old and wrinkled among us can memorize God's word, right? So let me give you one. It's 1 Kings 22, starting um, just verse 14. It's a key verse in the text where it says, Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. That I will speak. Those words, what God speaks to me this week, I'm going to speak. So as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Get that in your heart. Get that in your brain. Say it to you in this morning when you wake up and uh, in the evening, and you'll get it right there, and it'll be I think, really helpful. Those brave and courageous words, they come, into a, they come in a context, and briefly, here's the context. Some of you know that at this point in their history, Israel was cut in half, about actually two-thirds was Israel, and a third was Judah, and there were two kings at the time. The king, the southern king in Judah was Jehoshaphat, and the northern king was a guy named Ahab. And Ahab's dad was like him. Scripture says of Ahab's dad that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Not a very good description, right? And Ahab was worse. Throughout his life, he resisted God, even though God repeatedly showed himself to Ahab. And there's a verse in the preceding chapter in chapter 21 that says this in verse 25. And there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab. How would you like that as your legacy? That's a pretty bad legacy. Nobody sold himself out. His values and what he knows, knew was true and right for his own selfish means like this guy did. 
His name was Ahab. He was the same guy, for those of you who know a little of your Old Testament, who was um, gathering all these false prophets around him and had this confrontation with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Do you remember that scene? Really powerful scene. God did that to show himself to Ahab and to the nation of Israel so that they might know the Lord. And how did they respond? They kept responding in disobedience. They kept pushing God off and then paying the consequences for their disobedience because our selfish desires, just like Ahab's did, lead to death. That's the story that God's word continues to teach us when we live in our own selfish desires that leads to our destruction and to our death, our physical and our eternal death, our separation from God. For the wages of sin is... Death, but it doesn't stop there, does it? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord is what Scripture tells us. And this is part of the weaving of the whole story, this story right here, the story of Ahab's life and his selfishness. And as a consequence of his behavior, a direct consequence, Israel was living in a time of disharmony and fighting against its neighbors. It had this long history of fighting against Syria to the north, and they had all this disputed territory. So in 1 Kings 22, it tells us that Jehoshaphat from the south decides to, to connect with King Ahab. And together they're going to retake some territory from Syria. They decide that's a good idea. And Jehoshaphat actually has more of a relationship with God Almighty than Ahab does. And he says, we probably ought to ask God about this. Which is a good idea, right? When you come into a big step in your life. You ought to ask God. The problem here is that they didn't really want to sincerely hear what God had to say to them. Have you ever been there? Where you think, oh yeah, I should pray about this. But if God says something I don't like, I'm not going to hear it. And that's where Ahab's spirit was in this moment. So Ahab gets talked into actually asking what God wants. And Ahab decides to ask all his counselors, his 400 prophets who are not prophets of God Almighty, but other prophets of other gods, hey, what does God want? And they all come to him, and they're all acting like sycophants. They're all saying the yes thing to Ahab. Oh, yeah, you ought to do that. That's a good idea. And in the middle of the context of the story, Jehoshaphat turns to Ahab and says, okay, well, um, I hear what all these guys are saying, but we probably should ask somebody who knows God. <laughs> right? That would be a good idea what their story is. Do you have anybody like that in all of your country? And that brings to mind for this king, Ahab, this guy, Micaiah, ordinary guy. It's the only time we see him in the Bible. We ought to ask this guy. And at Jehoshaphat's urging, Ahab agrees that they should ask him. And in verse 8, Ahab gives a description of this guy. He says, yeah, we have this guy. His name is Micaiah. But I hate him. For he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. I don't like this guy at all. In fact, I hate him because every time I go to him, we have this conversation. He's saying something bad about me. And that should say something to him, actually, Ahab, right? Why does he keep saying bad about you? Is it personal or is there something going on in your life that you ought to check? Yeah, we're resistant, right? When there's sin in our life and we're holding on to it and someone who actually speaks truth in our life says something and we don't want to hear it, how do we respond? How do you respond, men, when your wife 
points out something in your life that's not right. It's actually sin against God. And she graciously and creatively says that into your life. How do you respond? It's a good question, huh? And ladies, how do you do that when a friend of yours comes alongside or your husband comes alongside? Young people, how do you do that when someone comes into your life and speaks the truth? Do you want to hear it? And that's the context of what happens here. Ahab hates this guy. Their relationship apparently was pretty complicated. And he was not, Micaiah was not a yes man. Because Micaiah valued truth and the honor of God over his own life. And that's a powerful combination. When you value truth and the honor of God over what everybody else is saying, everybody else is doing, and that's your chief value, even over the cost of your own life, God will use the ordinary person to do extraordinary things. And that's what happens in 1 Kings 22. So they send one of the messengers to go get Micaiah. And the messenger tells him, okay, listen, everybody's already made a decision. And everybody's cheering on that um, they'll go to war. And that's what you ought to just tell the king, okay? Don't, like, like you always do, don't push, you know, don't shove against God or his plan. Don't, don't stand up for God. Just tell the king what he wants to hear. Won't that be easier? Wasn't that better? And so that's the message Micaiah gets. And he responds by saying this. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, I'm going to speak. That I will speak. I'm not going to give a false message. I'm going to say what God wants. And that's a word that's so worth our imitation, right? It's so worth us hearing just to say God's truth, not in a harsh way, but with grace and compassion to be faithful to the word of God. That's what he wants us to do. So Micaiah arrives, and in my imagination, the room is really tense. Like everybody's on one side, and here's this one guy that comes in who's always confronting the king and always saying what he doesn't want to hear. And he walks in, and he's expected, you know, to be the yes guy like everybody else. He's a no-name guy. He doesn't, he's not, he doesn't have power except the power of God, and he walks in the room. He says, go and prosper. You know, Lord's gonna, the Lord shall deliver the hand of the king into you. He just says, yeah, go and do that, whatever else is agreed upon. But he says it in such a tone that they know that he's just being sarcastic. Right? He's just saying, okay, yeah, you've already got your plan. You've already decided what to do. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Feel free to do that. See where that lands you. And uh, the king, Ahab, is irritated about that. He knows that he's just, he's not really telling him the truth. And that actually sparked, when I was reading the text, sparked a question in me. How did King Ahab know that Micaiah wasn't telling the truth? That he was just being sarcastic? Was it the tone of his voice or was something else going on? How did King Ahab know that he shouldn't go with the rest of the armies? And that God was going to say something differently? And I believe it's the same consistent story as you see throughout Scripture. That God's Spirit loves to convict us of truth. Even the world, even non-believers, people who are still seeking, He loves to poke at us and help us understand what His truth is and what right, what's right, what's righteous. 
And what are the consequences of walking away from him are? Listen, men and women, you're not the Holy Spirit in the life of your friend or your family member that you want to see come to faith in Christ. God has a Holy Spirit. It's not you. He's great at doing this, at bringing conviction. He just wants you to speak the truth. He'll do the convicting part, right? So, I believe that Ahab had been at, you know, at confrontation and a crossroads with God's spirit. When Jesus is going to the cross, he describes the function of God's spirit to his disciples before he's crucified. And he says this, he says, and when the spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Not just believers, but the whole world. He, that's the spirit's job to do the conviction part concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So he's the one that's just edging people to understand that they need to place their faith in Christ. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. That is, that there will be a power of God's Spirit consistent in our world to teach people, convict people of what is true and right. I don't have to sweat that. Yeah, there's going to be all kinds of leaders and all kinds of movements in my culture, whatever culture I might live in, that leaves God and pursues unrighteousness. But righteousness, what is still true and right, it's going to remain. And people are still going to have the inkling of it because of the work of God's Spirit. And, and, excuse me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. It's a past tense. God has already won a victory. We can have confidence in that. So the Spirit of God, I think, was at work on Ahab, convicting him of sin and the right way to live and to lead, and he still is resisting, still pushing back against God. Listen, it's a temporary convenience to resist God. It is. It's more convenient to resist the call of God in your life. It's not right. It's not good. It's dangerous. It's bad in every way, but it's more convenient when God calls you out to do something, right? But a horrible long-term choice in your life to resist him. And that's what Ahab had been discovering. Even though it was convenient for him to push against God, it would lead to horrible long-term consequences for him. And most of us here, even those of us who are committed to follow Jesus, know where resistance leads. No good place. And yet we still push against him. And Ahab says, how many times shall I make you swear that you should speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Well, actually, that phrase, when you think about it, how many times King Ahab is saying, have I told you, Micaiah, all I want to do is hear God's word to me? Yeah, right, right? He might want to say that in front of the whole crowd but he's never sincerely actually embraced God and his word in his life and followed him fully and truly. So, Micaiah proceeds to tell King Ahab that he's not going to survive in battle. And he does it in a really creative way. He tells a couple stories, a couple Old Testament parables. Um. You know, we get so used to, some of us who have studied God's Word, get so used to reading about these prophets, these guys who's just men and women who took stands for God, that sometimes we don't all fully appreciate how the moment 
caused great pressure in them to concede and to not actually stand up. But this was a gutsy moment for him. Everybody else is arrayed against him. All the power in the room was on one side. The kings and all these people of influence were on one side. And he's one guy in the room. Hundreds of people against him. And the question is, is he going to say it? And he says it in not a vicious way, but he says it in a creative way by telling a couple parables. Let me ask you, what would move you to be willing to plainly and boldly speak the word of God this week? What would move you to that place, to be that kind of a gutsy person, to plainly and boldly speak the word of God no matter what, no matter the consequences? There was a lot at stake for Micaiah. So he says this first first response. In a vision, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Really short story. And they get it. It wasn't complicated. The shepherd, it's the king, he dies. (laughs) That's, That's the end of the story. And when he hears that story, the king doesn't like it. Ahab doesn't like it. Didn't I tell you, the king of Israel exclaimed to Josephat, he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. This guy's always full of bad news. I knew this was going to happen. All right? Who should have Ahab really been mad at? A, Micaiah. I'll give you a multiple choice here. B, God. C, himself. Yeah, but typically we blame other people, don't we? And that was what Ahab was in. He was in the blame mode, didn't want to own it. And so Micaiah continues with a second parable, a story, so that they might hear it and understand what God had in mind. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him. On his right hand and on his left, and the Lord said, who will entice Ahab? that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead. And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I'll entice him. And the Lord said to me, by what means? And he said, I'll go out, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Not a complicated story again, right? Everyone's getting more and more fried in the room. And he said, and you are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. End of story. And they all stood up and applauded the word of the Lord. No, not so much, did they? That's not what happened in response to these parables. Now, before you take a parable out of context, a parable is a story to teach us a spiritual point. Um, This is not teaching theology. God was not the author of deception, and so you're going to go down that road of, oh, look, God sent a lying spirit, and so God's an author of deception. That's not the, the point of the story. It's just a story to illustrate that the king and all the prophets were liars. They were liars. So would they succeed? Would they go ahead and do it? 
Then Micah lowers the boom. So you see, the Lord's put a lying spirit in the mouth of all your prophets. All these guys right here, they're lying to you. In case you missed it, this was a difficult moment in the room, a hard moment. So Zedekiah, the guy who had made this, these horns and sold this false story to the kings for their direction of what they should do, Zedekiah comes up, walks up to Micaiah and slaps him across the face. He says, since when did the Spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you? Well, actually, the Spirit of the Lord was never in Zedekiah. Zedekiah didn't even know the Lord, and he's claiming to know the Lord, but he's, he's making a public show of it, right? He slaps Micaiah in the face, big, bold move, right? He's got all these hundreds of people on his, on his side, and here's Micaiah just standing there. But Micaiah responds, you'll find, you'll find out soon enough when you're trying to hide. And actually, the language says, when you're trying to hide in your bathroom, when you're cowering like a little boy inside your bathroom, that's when you're going to know who spoke to this by the Spirit of God. It's a bold, like, response. Isn't that gutsy? I love the response. Sometimes you miss kind of the full force of the language of the story, and Micaiah just responds. Even those hundreds of people are against him because he has confidence in the Lord God Almighty. Regardless of what's going to happen, he just speaks it out. And they start, they start to talk a little prophet smack here in the room, which was great, I think. No, actually, God is going to do something. So the king of Israel goes off, Ahab, and King Jehoshaphat, they ignore the word of the Lord. They go into battle. And regardless of what happens, they go down this this road that was all bad. And the king of Israel, this is starting in verse 30, said to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I'll disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. So actually Ahab is being deceptive. He's trying to set up Jehoshaphat so he's going to be a target in the battle. That's how deceptive this guy is. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria commanded the 32 captains of his chariots fight with neither small or great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It's surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random. Actually, it wasn't just random that happened. And struck the king of Israel between the scale of armor and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of battle, for I'm wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians until evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed in the bottom of his chariot. And about sunset, a cry went out to the army, every man to his city, every man to his country, run away. So the king died, was brought to Samaria, that was her capital, And they buried the king in Samaria, and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it. According to the word of the Lord that had been spoken, there was a prophecy about this very act. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all he did, and the ivory house that he built and the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, 
and Isaiah, his son, reigned in his peace. And that's the end of the good story, isn't it? It's a bad ending. And it gets worse when Isaiah becomes king, and for two years he fully disobeys God, and it leads to the downfall of all of Israel. Israel's destroyed. Let's pray. Wait. I want to end with that bad news, right? <laughs> okay. Part of me... Part of me would have loved to see King Ahab respond to the word of God and, and Micaiah's gutsy move to speak out. For the kings to say, oh, you know what? Just felt the conviction of the spirit. You know what? You're right. We need to change our behavior. But God is actually weaving a bigger story in his word to help people see what happens when people disobey God's word and where it leads to, where it leads individuals to and where it leads a nation to. And God was doing this extraordinary act through this humble, creative guy who stood up to hundreds of people in power. And he was doing it, he was weaving out for his sake, for his story. Sometimes when we look at a life where the end of the story doesn't look so great, we think, what's so extraordinary about that? And the issue is that oftentimes in our day, in our culture, our definition of what's extraordinary is tweaked. Now, how do you define the truly extraordinary? How is it that we define that? The prophet Micah responds to those questions this way. He's told you, a man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To love the things that matter most to God and to do that. That's what defines the extraordinary person when everyone else is going the opposite direction to humbly walk with God and be committed to the things most important to him. That's it. I have a, I have a friend, dear friend. His name is Ricardo. And he leads this orphanage that I was just in ministry with. And Ricardo doesn't have um, a whole lot of education. He doesn't have hardly any financial means. <laughs> He's poor. And he and his wife, Soko, over the last decade that I've known them, keep taking in more kids in the orphanage. They have a very small church and they're keeping, taking in more and more of these kids who are abandoned, who are orphaned because they're convinced that to love the orphan is what God has called them to. And so they're going to be faithful to the calling of God to love these children and to lead them to faith in Christ. Their stories, man, they would just rip your heart out. I, I, <laughs> the stories I was hearing this week, it just continually, I just, I really impressed upon me. And the story of how they had experienced the love of God in their life was like just amazing. It was extraordinary. Ricardo's one of my heroes. God actually doesn't need all your wealth and finances and all your great capacity and skill. He needs you to be willing this week. Willing just to listen to his voice, regardless of whatever else is doing, to do that. To be faithful to his call on your life, to walk with him humbly, to be in the middle of doing justice, doing God's work.
and living for him. That's what he needs from you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the model of this man who is faithful amidst all the odds and all the opposition. And you know, Lord, it's often difficult for us to do that very thing. I pray your spirit would just convict us of your righteousness, the word that we need to speak, of the time we need to stand up, the creative way we need to deliver that word to people around us, and for us to stand faithfully with you. Oh, Lord, I pray your strong blessing on these men and women whom I love. Would you, Lord, empower them to be faithful to you this week as Micaiah was. We pray these things for the honor and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.